This is an RNZ podcast. The superintendent, though, also alluded to sanitation being an issue at Parliament grounds and not just COVID, although that is a very real risk. He's described the situation there as squalor. He said that there's faeces on the ground and children are playing in the mud. That was TVNZ reporter Kushla Norman on One News last Monday after that warning about the real risk of illness among protesters at Parliament from faecal contamination, though one of them on News Hub at six didn't seem to get the problem. But if I drop my guts, you can smell it, so the little mask is not really working. It's just, it just doesn't feel right. The squalor reinforced calls for the convoy crowd to be moved on from blocking the streets and blocking the drains, and that might have turned the stomachs of some viewers at tea time, and the sight of kids stuck in the muck did too. But the capital's top cops warning that shit just got real, so to speak, didn't move Barry Soper of News Talk ZB, who was doing the dirty work on the front line of the protest and insisting there was no poo problem at all. Protesters living in faeces and stuff, uh, they were offended by that. I talked to a number of them. There's no faeces anywhere. They've got portaloos down there. Um, and they're, they're Kiwis. A lot of them are uh, mandated uh, out of their jobs. On Monday, Barry Soper went on to tell his partner, ZB's drive host Heather Duplessy-Allen, those protesters were not as bad as they'd been painted either. Anti-mandate, yes, but anti-vax, not really, he said. And that view clearly held sway in their household. Do they have a point? Let's just look at that by itself. Do they have a point? Yes, they have a point. They insist that this is an anti-mandate protest and reporters on the ground there say that this does seem to be the case. Now, don't confuse anti-mandate with anti-vax. In fact, right across that network, the in-house talent seemed to be on the same page on this. In the same show soon after, NZME's head of business, Fran O'Sullivan, said it was time to engage with the not-so-rogue elements. I mean, not all those people on that lawn are crazy. There's a lot of people who are, you know, pretty ordinary folk who, uh, for one or another reason, uh, find themselves out of jobs. They don't necessarily want to be, um, uh, you know, vaccinated in some cases, and some just don't like the mandates and don't like freedom being imposed upon. And all this was a much more positive and savoury picture of the protesters than the media had been painting just days earlier. The sympathy was all for the Wellington people then and the police on the receiving end of physical aggro, irrational rhetoric and nooses, Nuremberg and Hang'em High imagery. These people, most in the media seemed at pains to point out then, were not just a minority but a mere fraction of the anti-vax and anti-social fringe element and they could and should be ignored if not prosecuted. Last week, for instance, the owner of the Backbencher pub in the thick of it at Ground Zero was telling TV reporters the protesters were the worst he'd seen in 30 years and he had to close his business. But even after protesters took up his dockway after that and then threatened to put the gastro into his gastro pub meals business, last Wednesday he told ZB's Kate Hawksby this. I've met the leaders of the protest. They are organised, reasonable and focused. They are not armed in any way and they are peaceful. I've met the police. The protesters and the police are meeting and learning to trust each other. And Kate Hawksby is also part of a ZB on-air couple with pretty similar views on the air. But Mike Hosking, her husband, has never had much time for direct action. Back in 2019, for example, he told his listeners this about the people occupying Ihumatau and protesting about Oranga Tamariki. So many protests, so little time. Actually, speaking of time, you notice how many people have got so much of it? I mean, is it time and lieu they're taking, do you think, or is it annual leave they're taking for all these protests? 
So at the end of last week, Mike Hosking said that convoy crowd had wasted their time and everyone else's. Didn't work. It wasn't groundswell. wasn't well organised. Had mixed messages. Too many nutters. Too many angry people. Protests make a point. They sway debate. This one just pissed everybody off. But last Monday, like so many of his ZB colleagues, Mike Hosking was suddenly giving the protesters quite a bit of credit. They represent all of us that right now have a sense that things aren't right. We don't all want to protest. Of course, most of us don't see protest as being a particularly useful outworking of energy. Uh, This one will end with little or no change to whatever it was they were wanting to alter. But it is an outpouring of emotion, and I admire people who want to give up a lot of time and effort to travel and hunker down and presumably get a sense of some sort of personal accomplishment. And in spite of the fact that there were at that point no publicly acknowledged leaders or mainstream political backers, and the only demands they'd issued were ridiculous, calls mounted for the government or the police to negotiate with them. Politics lecturer and pundit Dr Bryce Edwards, for example, told Newstalk ZB's Heather Duplessy Allen that any aggression at the protest had more or less evaporated. Earlier last week it was pretty aggro and there were some pretty nutty people there, and now it feels more festival. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly eccentric, and uh, those eccentrics at times were pretty aggressive, and um, I don't know, the vibe has totally changed. But eccentric was a surprising word for people who'd heard the media paint the mob as mad, bad and dangerous to be around just days earlier. The same day, Dr Edwards also told RNZ's morning report that protesters had been unfairly smeared as far-right, drawing this response from another commentator, Morgan Godfrey. Price is absolutely wrong to gloss over the involvement of the far right. Uh, we have seen the involvement of counterspin media and we've seen involvement of uh, currents in society which I think the vast majority of New Zealanders will find mm. very uncomfortable Okay. With. And among those obviously uncomfortable with that was the former Labour staffer Neil Jones. As the left-leaning pundit on Nine to Noon's weekly politics slot on Monday, he told Catherine Ryan these were not people with whom to negotiate. This protest is based on the most wild conspiracy theories. It is a very mainstream view in the protest movement at Parliament that the vaccination program is a conspiracy from governments, corporations, journalists, health workers and scientists to secretly poison and murder millions of people. And that's why we're seeing quite prominent demands for the Prime Minister, you know, Ashley Bloomfield, senior ministers and journalists to be arrested and tried and executed under the Nuremberg Code. Australian news agency the AAP this week did a pretty impressive fact check on whether New Zealanders could actually make a citizen's arrest of the health minister for culpable murder, and it concluded they can't, though that was unlikely to cut through the crowd who came to the capital with that on their to-do list. Nevertheless, Nine to Noon's host Catherine Ryan pushed back hard against Neil Jones and his declaration of illegitimacy. They don't read the same media or follow the same media that you do unquestioningly, they may have been fed, as anyone is, some stuff on Facebook or from friends or peers that has brought them to a conclusion that they don't want to get vaccinated or get their kids vaccinated, and now their 13-year-old can't go to dance and can't compete in the sprint championships. Now, you don't have to be at the extreme end of things to get upset about that. We're going round in circles, a frustrated Catherine Ryan told her guests soon after that, and listeners had the same feeling about that debate this past week in the media. But in Parliament on Wednesday, mere metres from the mob that wouldn't get off the grass, Government Minister Michael Wood called far-right influence a river of filth that was running through the protest. There is a river of violence and menace. There is a a river of anti-Semitism. There is a river of Islamophobia. There is a river of threats to people who work in this place and our staff. 
Um, and those are things that we should not in any way be condoning. And Michael Wood rejected the notion of simply good people who are suffering from vaccine mandates who just wanted the chance to negotiate them. I would say, Madam Speaker, that there is a river of genuine fascism in parts of the event that we see out the front of this parliament today. And I just urge colleagues in this House, decent and honourable members of the centre-right parliamentary parties in this parliament, that a lot is actually on them to not give succour and comfort to an emergent and dangerous far-right movement. And I just ask those members to reflect upon that. But was this something for the media to reflect on too? Some who had been impressed with the protesters' stickability had pivoted to painting them as not a vector for far-right threats, but possible partners for peace. And that's in spite of the fact that backers of the protest with clout were still thin on the ground, unlike the protesters, and that they made little sense. Later that night, for example, Dame Tariana Turia told RNZ that she backed the protesters in part because she reckoned she'd seen evidence of the Prime Minister doing a Heil Hitler salute back when she was a socialist. Are you serious? I'm deadly serious. So you are suggesting that she is in some way aligned to Nazi sympathies? I certainly believe that she's a socialist. But is that, that, that Nazi and socialist, the two don't necessarily go hand in hand? Well, I don't know so much. And expat sailor Russell Coots claimed that he too was alarmed by increasing limitations on our freedom of choice and what he said was becoming a dictatorship, though he cited no significant restrictions on freedom really, while he railed against things like the 10-day quarantine still in place for international travellers. The Herald pointed out it was actually only seven days. Now, Russell Coots didn't have much respect, though, for the media reporting. He claimed the media were taking government funding to air government propaganda. And it remains to be seen if the multimillionaire does join the throng in the capital. Or, as one commentator pointed out, he might get a better offer in the meantime from the protesters in Canada to join them. The next day, Thursday, News Talk ZB's Heather Duplessy-Allen was also telling her listeners that the ball was now not in the protesters' court, but the government's. Now, I fully understand why the government didn't want to meet the protesters last week. Fair enough. The vibe back then, the scene was ugly and disruptive and violent, right? But don't you think the vibe seems to have changed a wee bit? It's gone a bit from being aggro at the start of last week to at the end of this week being more of a hippie festival. And that probably makes a meeting more palatable. And less than an hour after that, the notion of harmless hippies just hoping for peace was put into perspective by TVNZ's Kristen Hall. On One News, she reported that agro was actually getting more intense online and on the ground. Some opposed to mandates have posted significantly more extreme rhetoric online. They include gruesome threats of executions and hangings. David Seymour's meeting with protesters on Wednesday drew this response from far-right extremist and protest attendee Calvin Alp. You're lucky they're not, or they haven't already strung you up from the nearest bloody lamppost, you clown. Analysis from research group Tapunaha Matatini shows such content has grown in popularity and scale since the protest began. And an irony, even though some media were painting a very positive picture of the protesters, much of the mob still really hate the media. And you will be held accountable! No, we won't. Yes, you bloody will! It's an undercurrent of something much darker. 
TVNZ's Kristen Hall has herself copped threats and taunts during the protest from those among them who reckon the media are the virus to be eliminated. And Stuff's reporting staff also this week reported that some of them had been forced off Parliament grounds by aggressive protesters. So much for that freedom to live and work. Far-right imagery slogans and outbursts in online media outlets seen last week were still clear and present this week. So have parts of our media then fundamentally misunderstood this movement, or even been duped by it? Hayden Donnell asked Byron C. Clark, who's been researching and documenting far-right activity online here for years. Kia ora, Byron, and welcome to Media Watch. Kia ora, thank you for having me on. At first, the media coverage of this protest at Parliament was pretty universally negative, and I think that's really changed this week, where we had lots of reporters and commentators coming out and saying, you know, the protests are peaceful and the government needs to take a more conciliatory stance and negotiate. Do you think there's been a concerted effort by the protesters to sanitise their reputation in a way? Yeah, I think certainly from some factions of the protesters, I I think there are some people who are there on site and some people who maybe aren't there on site but are backing it online who want to see that that really militant, angry protest that we had at the start where there was, you know, messages about hanging politicians and, and so forth. And there are others who want to take this more more moderate stance where they, you know, try and downplay that kind of more extreme element and and I think there are people there who who want to be leaders who are negotiating with with uh, politicians with the government pushing for that more more sanitized image and telling people to you know stop yelling at journalists to come and, and instead be friendly and you know and, and tone down some of the signs and the chalk that we saw in the early days of the protest. Should we buy that, though? Are the media kind of falling for a bit of a trick here? Are we falling for a PR pitch? by the protesters? Quite possibly. And maybe the sympathetic coverage that we're seeing of the protesters from journalists who have gone along and engaged with those more more moderate elements, which may be a result of the more extreme elements not being not being willing to engage with journalists at all and just yelling at them or, or whatever. So we get a, an almost skewed look at the protest because the only people who will consent to being interviewed are the people who are more moderate. We need to look not just at people who are on site, but look at the the organising channels on social media apps like Telegram and and Zello and and look at the rhetoric that's going on there and look at what people are are saying there because the the message we're going to get from moderate protesters in Wellington who are willing to speak to the media isn't going to tell the full story and isn't going to give a complete picture of the mood of the protest. Watch their own media because the protesters have have a whole ecosystem of alternative media. One of them is, is Counterspin Media, who have been around for almost a year now and do a couple of episodes each week, but are currently doing like 12-hour-long live streams of the protest every day. And then there's other live streams like Chantal Baker, who's there doing all these live streams. And these people are, you know, talking to to people who I think are saying different things than what they say to a mainstream media journalist. I think to get a really full picture, you know, we need all of that. We need people on site. We need to look at the media they're producing themselves, and we need to look at, you know, their organising conversations on, on apps like Telegram. You're in all of these apps, and you've studied it extensively, not just now this week, but for years and years. Does it strike mm. you as kind of credulous when people like Bryce Edwards go to the campsite and say, oh, well, they seem peaceful? Does that kind of jar with your experience of these movements? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it seems like almost willful ignorance at this point for, for Bryce Edwards and others to be 
describing the protest as peaceful because there have been plenty of reports all all across the media and from people people who research disinformation like uh, um, the Disinformation Project who are showing some of this this rhetoric that's coming out. And I think to be talking of the protest as peaceful is just you have to ignore all of that. It seems like he really sh- is, is allowing himself to propagate this idea that it's peaceful, that it's moderate, that it's a carnival, when meanwhile we've got on Telegram, we've got people still calling for um, trials and execution of politicians. We've got on um, Counterspin Media, uh, the hosts telling people to read the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. We've got all that there, and to not report on that almost seems like being part of that disinformation at the moment, at this point in time. Yeah, so we had Michael Wood calling out what he saw as this river of filth, he was a quote, mm. underpinning the movement, and you had uh, Tama Iti saying this. It's not Tinorangatida Tama. It's not Manamotuhake. Mm. It's a couple driven by um, uh, the Donald Trump mentality mm. and all of that. Are those observations correct? To what extent does this movement draw from the alt-right and Trumpian populist movements we see in places like the US? I mean, it's very clearly got a large alt-right element to it. I mean, we're seeing um, the Trump flags, we're seeing um, various alt-right memes, you know, written on people's signs and things like that. It's not necessarily the case that everybody there is part of the alt-right, but for the alt-right, they see this broader anti-vaccine movement as fertile ground for recruitment and for propagating their ideology because you've got a group of people who are already distrustful of the government, distrustful of authority, of experts. And if you can find people who already believe that the government is lying to them about vaccines and the media is lying to to them about vaccines, those people can more easily be convinced that the the government and the media are, are lying about other things as well. And that's where you start to get these far more insidious conspiracy theories, uh, like some of the anti-Semitic conspiracy theories that I'm seeing pop up on Telegram and conspiracy theories um, about the Christchurch shooting, which are being shared around some of these groups and some of these things here. So it's not the case that everyone at the protest is a committed member of an alt-right movement, but it's certainly the case that the alt-right has a presence in this movement and is trying to influence the direction it takes. Yeah, is there an element of obscuring true ideals from that alt-right element? Rangi Kemada posted this video of the protesters holding a mock trial. I think there's I think there's an element of that. I think there's some people involved on, on the alt-right who are you know, pretty open about their ideology and what they believe. But then there are more more moderate elements who are trying to downplay that and more interested in perhaps negotiations. I've seen, you know, right from the, the day that the protest began in Wellington when the convoy arrived, I started to see some of the splits between the more radical and the more, more moderate factions uh, because a, a speaker representing the Freedom and Rights Coalition uh, 
told protesters to to go and move their cars so that people could commute home at the end of the workday. And that was met with a lot of anger from um, the hosts of Countersman Media who wanted this to be a very disruptive protest and didn't want it to just be a rally when then people stopped blocking the streets. And I think that they aren't necessarily hiding their their own beliefs and their own ideology, but are trying to push aside the more more extreme elements. And that causes conflict with others who are more extreme and want want themselves to be the leaders of this movement or, or be at least the the official voice of this movement as, as Counterspin is, is trying to be, even though they are a more radical fringe than I think a lot of the people are actually there. Yeah, it's part of the confusion that a lot of the people that are there are some people that you might have identified as liberal or left-wing. I mean, I've seen this among mm. my own friends where they get drawn down this anti-vax channel and then uh, they're, they're still, they still have these sort of uh, peaceful sensibilities, but they're drawn into this mm. different world because of their opposition to vaccines. Mm. Yeah, and I think there's, there's, there's a pipeline that people can go down to, to get to the alt-right and it's not necessarily people who are already on the right politically just moving further and further towards the right it's it's people right across the political spectrum who are moving further and further away from reality so if you already are skeptical of vaccines and, and maybe you're skeptical for you know the typical kind of left-wing reasons you might be distrustful of of the pharmaceutical industry um and feel that they're only out to make a profit and you might be sceptical of vaccines for that reason. But then if you go into these anti-vax groups online, you're going to be um, experiencing conversations about other conspiracy theories and people will be saying, yes, the, the media is lying to you, not just about this, but also about these other things. And as you start to disengage with mainstream media and increasingly only engage with these these fringe social media sites, you're going to be influenced by a lot of these ideas. And even if you keep calling yourself a, a liberal or left-wing, going along to these protests which are being shaped by the by the far right, are you are you part of a far right movement without even realising it? I, I think that mm. that's probably the case for some of the people outside Parliament at the moment. Well, th- these protesters really hate the mainstream media. This is one of their animating mm. forces. It's almost something that they're more unified on than anything else. And yes. I'm going to ask, why do these protesters hate the media so much? But is it because it's like an existential uh, matter for the movement in, in general? Like if you if you start engaging with other sources outside of their trusted sources, then the movement starts to wither and die. I mean, I think the, the distrust for the, for the media maybe in some cases comes from beginning with the point of having a healthy scepticism of the mainstream media. But then if people are already inclined to be um, sceptical about vaccines, they'll start seeking out sources that reinforce their existing worldview and they'll, they'll end up on alternative media. And a lot of these alternative media sites will be even more critical of the mainstream media. A really common conspiracy theory that I see is the idea that the government or, or even Jacinda Ardern personally is funding all the mainstream media. And they, and they point to some of the grants that have been made made available to media and they say that this means the media is biased and they're only propagating the view of the government. And the only real independent media are these fringe platforms like uh, like Counterspin and getting the message constantly that the mainstream media is compromised, the mainstream media is lying, and the only sources you can trust are these alternative ones who may give them the information about vaccines that reinforces their existing ideas, gets them that confirmation bias. But then they're also going to bring in 
various other conspiracy theories and various other ideas as well. How dangerous is it for the media and politicians at the moment? Because we do see all these references in the Telegram channels to stuff like the Nuremberg trials, images of people being hung from after World War II, Nazi Germany. There's more danger than, than there was in the past. I don't know exactly how dangerous it is. But I do see on Telegram these talks about uh, having common law courts and then holding trials for politicians and for the media with the caravette that after these trials, some of these people will be put to death or will be executed publicly. And I think that's really, really animating a few of these protesters who really believe that politicians or journalists are the enemy and that violence against them would be morally justified because they see these people as being complicit in a genocide. This isn't just a new phenomenon, though. You've been monitoring this for years. After March 15, 2019, mm. the government stepped up monitoring of uh, the internet for domestic extremism. Do our newsrooms also need to be doing what you're doing and monitoring and infiltrating groups like Telegram and Zello and stuff like that to actually understand what's going on in these types of protests and other social movements across the country? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been fielding a lot of inquiries from from journalists from the media that this past week and I'm I'm always happy to to speak to speak to these people about the information that I know and what I know about these groups and and these um, alternative media sites and so on but I'm not I'm not even a full-time journalist I, I work a day job and I do a little bit of freelance writing and a YouTube channel on on top of that I think some of our, our newsrooms should be putting more resources into researching these groups researching these um, fringe elements, because we should know after what happened in, in Christchurch in 2019 that just because this stuff is happening online and looks like it's it's quite fringe doesn't mean it's not going to burst out into the real world, as it did in the case of the Christchurch shooting when we became aware, a lot more aware of alt-right growing on fringe websites like 8chan, but also the influence of of alt-right misinformation and disinformation on more mainstream social media. And while there's been some changes to the mainstream social media in the last three years, that alt-right is still there on the new, what sometimes are called alt-tech platforms, the, the alternative platforms that have been set up specifically to cater for people who have been uh, deplatformed or banned from more mainstream social media. And it's not going away, and if anything, it seems to actually be, be growing in these spaces like Telegram. And I think the pandemic has really caused a lot more people to start seeking out these conspiracy theories while people were on lockdown and, and stuck at home. They were spending a lot more time online, going down these rabbit holes, it's largely been ignored by the media until suddenly we get thousands of people out on the streets in front of Parliament. Those thousands of people have all been chatting to each other on Telegram for, for months, if not years. Is there a danger, though, in the attention that's being drawn to these alt platforms, uh, like Counterspin, by the mainstream media now? Now more people are going to become aware of these channels. They might visit them out of curiosity, and they might be drawn into these rabbit holes themselves. I, what I try and do and what, what others have advocated is rather than uh, debunking conspiracy theories, uh, do what's called pre-bunking, uh, sort of expose people to a little bit of this misinformation, this disinformation before they come across it um, so that when they do come across it, their first exposure to that has been somebody criticising it and somebody contrasting that with real facts and real real information. 
that's what the media should be aiming to do when talking about um, counterspan and talking about about some of these other individuals who are involved. Hey, thank you so much for joining me, Byron. Thank you. That's Byron C. Clark, a researcher into online misinformation and extremism, talking there to media watchers Hayden Donnell.